Hang on. Hang on. Halt. To this might be a podcast, the song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. I'm your host, Greg Simpson, and I'm here with Jonathan Strickland, host of the iHeartRadio show Tech Stuff, and we are going to talk about the song Atlanta, aka Variety Playhouse Freak In off of Venue Songs. Here we go. The Variety Playhouse is like a hospital. For people who are well The music and the colored lights Are like an antiseptic smell Electric guitars are nurses That wrap you all in cars And the songs we play are the hospital bill You pay with your applause Jonathan, how the tech are you? <laughs> oh, the hell the turns have tabled. Uh, I'm great. I'm great. This is a thrill to be on this show. I'm a big fan of They Might Be Giants. Um, I've seen some incredible shows. I've seen one terrible show. <laughs> oh, boy. And, uh, yeah, oh, we'll talk about it. It wasn't okay. the band's fault. <laughs> okay, all right. We, we, we'll hear about that later. So I'm trying to remember. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, every once in a while, you'll drop a They Might Be Giants reference in tech stuff. Mm-hmm. And... I've been listening to the tech stuff for quite a while. I really like it because uh, of all the history you put behind it. There's a lot of tech history, just learning about how things have evolved over the years. Interesting tech that's not just about, I think a lot of people might think like, a, oh, a tech uh, podcast is just about like computery stuff. But I remember like one, uh, the technology that makes submarines work. Like stuff mm-hmm. like that and multi-part episodes going through like the history of iTunes and iPod and stuff like that um, and how stuff can relate to pop culture and all that kind of thing. Like you really encompass a lot of stuff. It's not just like completely dorky technology stuff. Like you kind of bring it into like the whole world, like a whole world focus rather than just like this little insular thing. So I, I, I got hooked on it quite a long time ago. I really appreciate that. Yeah. um, My goal is always to provide plenty of context whenever I'm talking about anything on the show. And I feel that without context, you can't really understand a subject properly. Uh, And also, I mean, people get on to me because I bring a lot of social issues and politics uh, (laughs) 
as they overlap in tech. And I know a lot of people are like, could you just not talk about politics and just talk about the tech? And I said, listen, tech exists in our world. Politics exists in our world. The two affect one another, whether you like it or not. And if you don't talk about one without talking about the other, you're doing a massive injustice. And you have to look at the big picture to really get an understanding. And even when you go big picture, you realize you can always go one step bigger than that. Uh, <laughs> right. And so the trouble for me is figuring out where to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's a great show. I know there there are other tech podcasts out there, but yours, I think, really is the best. And I think people should check it out for sure. We Take that, Leo that. Laporte. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we can talk a little bit more about uh, where people can find tech stuff and all that in the uh, plugs section. But we are here to talk about They Might Be Giants. And first, I want to know your history of fandom with They Might Be Giants. When did you get into them? How old were you? What did you hear first? All of that good stuff. Groovy. So, like, uh, I was born in 1975, so I've been around the block a little bit. And... uh, the first time I remember hearing They Might Be Giants, you also have to remember, I grew up in rural Georgia, which might as well be in a different universe than Brooklyn, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, not the kind of place where you're just going to stumble upon They Might Be Giants. Uh, in my house, you know, my parents were listening to The Beatles, Rolling Stones. Uh, we also had like Linda Ronstadt, and John Denver albums. Sure. And, and lots of lots of comedy albums, too. I didn't encounter They Might Be Giants until probably the mid to late 80s where I was, uh, it was by happenstance because I was a fan of a man who is finally getting his story told on the big screen, (laughs) Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, And obviously, I mean, I think Weird Al was like a gateway for a lot of people to a lot of different weird bands. Uh But in the 80s, he used to take over MTV, which at the time was actually about music. And he had specials called Al TV to promote albums when they were releasing. LTV. Yeah. And he would have, he would be controlling MTV for like three (laughs) hours at a time. It was insane. The amount of airtime they gave him and he wouldn't just do skits and he wouldn't just promote his album. He would also play music videos from other bands. And I remember distinctly seeing these two guys jumping up and down on the banks of a river. It was this muddy area. (laughs) One of them was holding an accordion and they were telling me to put my hand inside the puppet head. (laughs) And as I listened to it, I thought this music is incredible. Like I I was a fan of new wave. So I was like a fan Mm -hmm. of things like Devo wall of voodoo later on concrete blonde, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And just listen to the beginning of put your hand inside the puppet head. It is one of the most beautiful beginnings <laughs> of a song. Like it, it's, 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 I Agreed. actually would compare it compared to weird Al's uh, dare to be stupid, which is his Devo pastiche, uh-huh. but it's just this gorgeous music. And, uh, I didn't know where to find them. <laughs> I was in rural Georgia. I, I didn't yeah. have a car, so I couldn't like just go to the record store and see if they had it. So, uh, I kind of forgot about them for a few mm. years and then mm-hmm. gateway drug number two hit. And I'm sure that other people on your show have brought this up because there's no way they couldn't <laughs> 1991 <laughs> February little animated series called tiny tunes. What? 
Yeah, they feature Istanbul and Particle Man in the first. No, you're the, the first, first segment. You're the first one to ever bring that up. Are, you're kidding me. I'm totally kidding you. I, you know, I was about to say, like, there's no way. There is no way. I'm like, I know I'm old, but there's no way. I'm totally um, fucking with you. That, awesome. I, I feel better now. I feel better. Like, I will. My freak out will be reserved for talking about Variety Playhouse. Uh, yeah, so so I watched that. I loved it. And that summer of 1991, I visited a program called Governor's Honors Program, which was for gifted kids. And I wasn't attending, but my dad was teaching a course there. And I just went with him down to Valdosta, Georgia, which is almost in Florida. Mm. And one of the kids there was from Atlanta. And he was a huge They Might Be Giants fan. And that was the first time I got to listen to the Flood album. Okay. And I lost my goddamn mind. And I went out, <laughs> I went out and bought it. And you have to understand at this time, my record collection, quote unquote, my CD collection consisted of classical music and weird Al Yankovic albums. And that was pretty much it. Nice. So <laughs> they might be giants joined. Uh, my friend's group in high school, we were all, I guess technically we're all the geeky outcasts, but we didn't really care. And it's not that we were cool. We yeah. were just oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this was the group that all liked fantasy movies and science fiction and Dungeons and Dragons and comic books. And they might be giants. And so a friend of mine went out and he had the Lincoln album. So I was introduced to that. And then on a road trip, I got to listen to Apollo 18. And then I went out and found a copy of their self-titled album Mm-hmm. And it completely destroyed my my buddy who had Lincoln because he was convinced Lincoln was their first album. Um, <laughs> so he was ah, like, before easy access to the Internet. Yeah, the, the people forget now, but it's, <laughs> it was hard finding stuff like unless you knew where to look. And uh, and of course, like again, in rural Georgia, like the inventory of your local record store may not be carrying stuff that is, you know, two or three steps outside the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be lucky to find it. And, uh, th- but it totally blew him away that there were in a good way, because it's discovering that there's more of the thing you love out there that you didn't know was there. And, um, and that's where I just, from that point forward, I was a hardcore fan. Uh, I didn't get to see them play live until the late nineties again in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say the first place I saw them play live was, the variety playhouse, but this was okay. in like 98. So years before the venue song would come out. Right. Yeah. It does seem like that is, is definitely their go-to um, as far as, so what year did you say that was that you saw them? 98, I think. 98. Yeah. Somewhere right around yeah. there. Because after that, they did a couple of shows at a, a theater called the Roxy. Um, Although that's confusing because in Atlanta, there were three different theaters all called the Roxy. One was a movie what? theater. Yeah, there was a big old movie palace, like like one of those old 1930s style movie palaces that was torn down in the 70s. Then there was the Coca-Cola Roxy Theater, which used to be known as the Buckhead Theater. Now it's known as the Buckhead Theater. And the <laughs> new Coca-Cola Roxy Theater is up close to where the Braves play north of it it's not even in atlanta i don't consider it an atlanta venue anymore so 98 uh any specific uh 
memories of that first time that you saw them? Oh gosh, uh, it's it's hard for me to remember that one. The one I remember better was the first time we saw them at the Roxy, which was in two thousand one, because I distinctly remember my wife and I walking into the lobby of this theater. Again, it used to be like a, a an old movie theater and then turned into a music venue. And we walked in, we started hearing kiss me, son of God. And I was freaking out. I was like, I can't believe we're missing the show. We're not even that late. And we go in and no, there was just this other little band covering kiss me, son of God. That little band was okay. Go. (laughs) So covering, covering they might be giants while opening for them. That's a bold move. Yeah. I've seen it happen one other time by a common rotation that did don't let start. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, there there was OK Go playing Kiss Me, Son of God. Now, this was before OK Go had any hits. They yeah. It would be years before they would have the famous treadmill video the for, uh, you know, Here It Goes Again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember they played a song called Women and Men, What a Magic Combination, which I don't think they've ever released. But if you can find a bootleg of it, it is worth listening to because it's hilarious. <laughs> and my wife and I still <laughs> quote it. Uh, but that show. But not a was, cover of Women and Men. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no, it was not, it's a totally different song from women and men. Um, but yeah, that, that show at the Roxy was tons of fun. And I remember the, the thing that, that really sealed my love of their live performance is the way they, they change up how they perform particle man, which of course isn't in every single live show, but every mm-hmm. time they do do it in a live show, they find new ways to energize it. Maybe it's that they play it at a different tempo Maybe they bring a lot more brass in. Maybe mm-hmm. they break in the middle to play Dolly Parton's uh, Here You Go Again, Here You Come Again. And that's amazing. If you've ever seen that, that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah, I um, have not seen that. Oh, here. You, yeah, you, you got to look up Particle Man, Here You Come Again. And it's okay. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, especially if you ever get one of the ones where the crowd starts singing along. Because when you mm-hmm. have the, the crossover, They Might Be Giants and Dolly fans, it's absolutely magical. Uh, so yeah, those were, those were the events that really got me. And then, you know, coming up onto the show where they debuted the venue song, uh, yeah. which happened at, I think March of 2004, if I'm not mistaken, something um, like that. Looks like September 25th, 2004. Okay. September, 2004. Um, I remember that show because not only did they debut the variety playhouse song at that show, they also uh, had the brothers Chaps there who were famous for the creation of Homestar Runner. Mm-hmm. And so Homestar Runner appeared in puppet form uh, and and oh, had man. some banter. Uh, it would have been hilarious, except that the voice for Homestar Runner is such that when you do it very loud into a microphone, <laughs> the distortion oh, no. over the sound system is such that you're like, I'm sure whatever is being said is hilarious. I just can't tell what's being said. Oh, um, man. Yeah, it's kind of hard to understand great. as it is. <laughs> yes. Yes. Homestar. Um, <laughs> but that wouldn't, that wouldn't be the last time. Like every time that they, that they may giants would come to Atlanta, there was at least a chance you were going to see strong bad up there too. It was amazing. Wow. Wow. So uh, I, I, I want to hear about this one bad show that you saw. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. <laughs> okay. Again, not They Might Be Giants' fault. They were amazing. 
So the bad show, uh, here's, here's, this has sealed my philosophy is that I will never go to a free show ever, ever, because mm. the crowds at free shows are the kind of crowds I despise being in. <laughs> so it was a free show at Stone Mountain Park, which uh, is the incredibly racist park in Georgia. Oh, but no. it was a free show where, well, they have a Confederate monument carved into the side of a mountain. Uh, um, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've got thoughts, but uh, <laughs> even, as, <laughs> even as a native Georgian, uh, but they were having this free show and they might be giants was like the oddly enough, the headliner for the show. They had other bands that had radio play songs in the area as well. I can't remember what they are at this point, but my wife and I, we go and it's an outdoor show. It was raining. So that was already kind of a bummer. You were not allowed to have an umbrella, which makes sense. You know, you don't want to block everyone's view, but it meant that you were getting soaked. Mm. Um, and there were, the crowd was mostly teenagers who had no idea who they might be giants were because it was a free show. Kids. Yeah. Kids going to a free show who have no idea who they might be giants are. And so they weren't paying attention to the show at all. And it was very distracting watching teenagers just be, you know, stereotypical teenagers (laughs) free from the thumb of authority. Um, (laughs) They were trying to start mosh pits at a They Might Be Giant show. Oh, wow. Yeah, hmm. no. And this is Man, 2003. 2003. Mosh pits in 2003, y'all. Come on. <laughs> um, this was not 1990s Athens, Georgia anymore. So, yeah, I, I it was that was miserable. The thing that really made it bad, though, was when They Might Be Giants played the one song that everyone did recognize because somehow that made it worse, which was that they played uh, Boss of Me because Malcolm in the uh-huh. Middle, the kids knew that and they went nuts. They're like, oh, this is the band that does that song. And it, that, but yeah, my wife and I, we looked at each other and we're like, we're old and we will never go to a show unless you have to pay for it because that weeds out all the jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get sucked into the mosh pit at all? That's always a worry. I was standing in front of my wife and bouncing because I knew that by bouncing, you can take some of that momentum off and you can deflect. And that way my <laughs> wife would not get banged into or trampled. Sure. What, what a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do that sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's, it's amazing that you saw the debut to this song. They've actually, they've played it nine more times in Atlanta since then, because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it seems like they've definitely locked in on uh, Variety Playhouse since uh, since then. I don't know if they're uh, playing the Roxy anymore or not, but uh, as recently as 2018, they played yeah. it yep. at Variety Playhouse. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a great venue. So it's it's like it's a good medium sized venue. I mean, it can hold to like maybe up to a thousand people so you can get a good crowd in there. But it it it's still feels intimate. Right. So you still have that intimate rock show kind of feel. Yeah. And this this is a venue that plays host to, like the name suggests, a huge variety of different musical artists. I mean, the Dresden Dolls have played there. Mm. Um, Nico Case is playing there like next week. Like it's it's a really interesting place where you can hear really cool songs from really cool bands. Um, uh, One of my favorites to see there. I mean, he doesn't do it anymore, but uh, Big Mike Geyer who uh, headed a mm. band called King sized an Elvis uh, tribute mm. band. He would okay. play a big show there in on Elvis's birthday in January. Big Mike Geyer is better known to the internet as puddles pity party. 
The, I don't the, know what else pity party. <laughs> the clown with the golden voice. He was on American okay. Idol. He, he's known. He sang a great cover of uh, Lord's Royals with a postmodern jukebox. And um, but yeah, anyone who's familiar with Puddles Pity Party, which is what he's touring as now. Uh, that's why he hasn't done King Size in a few years, ap- apart from the fact there was a pandemic. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a great venue. It's got like a, you know, a floor level and a balcony level. Uh, I tend to go to the balcony level now because there are seats there and I'm old. <laughs> I feel sure. like to sit down yeah. and watch the show. I'm um, looking at a picture of it right now. It looks like a beautiful spot. It's, the picture it's, I'm looking at now has has chairs on the floor. Are those are those not permanent chairs? Those are new. Those are actually those new. Are new. So, well, like okay. halfway back, they had chairs that started. But for the longest time, the front half, the half that was closest to the stage was all bare floor. And this again was an mm-hmm. old movie theater that got converted. It was used, it used to be called the Euclid theater because it's on Euclid Avenue in a neighborhood called little five points in Atlanta. This is a neighborhood that's known for like punk rockers and bikers and weirdos. And like, cool. it's my kind of, it's my kind of place. I love nice. it. Uh, uh, another landmark. If you need to look it up, a landmark in little five points is called the vortex bar and grill. And it's got the crazy like skull over the entrance with the spiral eyes. Uh, great place <laughs> to hang out before a show. Yeah, wonderful neighborhood. Love it to pieces. And so you've got this this theater that's down Euclid Avenue. It got turned into a live music venue in the 90s. Fun bit of trivia. It turned into a music venue in like September of 1990 and they might be giants did their first show there in October of 1990. Oh, wow! so like one Fresh. month after one month after it opened. Yeah. And so they've been there since the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They locked that place down. <laughs> nice. Okay. So the song, I mean, do we call yeah. it Atlanta or do we call it variety playhouse freaking? What do we call it? I mean, I just call it variety playhouse because like, I I understand the reason they don't call it things is so that they don't run into like IP issues and they refer to it more as the city than as the actual venue. But for me, it's always variety playhouse. That's just, that's how I always think of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so the song starts out pretty normal and calm mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the guitar tab, some pretty standard stuff. You got D F sharp minor G D pretty much going, oh, we got an A in there, but pretty much going, you know, a four chord song, nice and gentle. And then it gets to that you pay with your applause and then just everything goes wrong. Yeah. Right? yeah. There's, there's a little bit of like, it sounds like there's a little bit of maybe wah pedal early in the piece. Like not a lot. It's not uh-huh. overdone, but it sounds like there's just a little bit of that wah kind of effect. Mm-hmm. And then once you get into the applause bit, it feels like there's a, a strong dose of psychedelia thrown in there. Oh like, God. When Definitely. I hear it, I, when I hear that bit in variety playhouse, it reminds me of some of the more psychedelic Beatles songs, or maybe something from like the doors or the birds um, or pink Floyd, even like there's, there's some of that element in there. Uh, it's yeah. more coherent than a psychedelic song tends to be. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't just become a wall of noise in other words, but, uh, it gets but, yeah. pretty noisy though. It gets yeah. pretty noisy. It gets pretty noisy. Yeah. A lot of that I'm trying to figure out is what is 
could be keyboards and what could be guitar. Mm-hmm. There's all these big bends where it sounds like it could be guitar with the whammy bar. It could be keyboard with the you know the bender, the the, mm-hmm. the tone, the pitch wheel. I don't know. What do you? Th- it's hard, really hard to tell what's going on there. What do you think? I think it really well. For the one, the recorded version, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I th- I do think there are keyboards in there, but this is the thing that's beautiful to me is that it's the kind of music when you hear it, you think you could have a different arrangement of instruments and produce a similar feel. It wouldn't sound exactly the same, but you could do it in so many different ways. In that respect, it actually makes me think of uh, the band because I mean, the band, the band. Because right. I think of the song uh, Up on Cripple Creek, which for the longest time I listened to and I could not figure out what was making that weird wah, 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 wah kind of sound in that song. Uh-huh. And it was years later that I found out it was an organ. And I was like, what? Mm. That's an organ? And I watched the video of how it was made and everything and how it was manipulated so that you got that weird sound. And uh, Did they use the Leslie speaker, the rotating speaker? Is that what that is? I don't think so. I think he, uh, well, there's a whole documentary obviously about the band where they went into it, but it was, it was one of those things where it was an eye opener where I I realized my mind had come up with an explanation for how that sound was made. And I was 100% wrong. And, (laughs) and in a way, when I listen to this song, I get into that groove where I'm like, this could be a guitar, but it could be a keyboard. It could be a synthesizer. I'm not entirely sure. And part of me thinks I want to keep thinking about this. And part of me thinks I almost don't want to know the answer because the mystery kind of makes it cooler. And I honestly can't remember (laughs) because it was 2004. Yeah. (laughs) And so I don't remember what it, and that was, I think they opened the show with that song. So (laughs) it's hard to remember. And then you had Homestar Runner and boy, that once Homestar Runner shows up, it just kind of wipes everything else out. So you mentioned the Beatles before. Now there is a um, a common thought um, <laughs> that the wiki brings up that the vocal freakout may be a reference to uh, a Yoko Ono voice. Yeah, and um, and they might be giants. Actually, pre they might be giants covered this song. Don't worry, Kyoko, and we're talking about late. Late seventies. Uh, there's a, a a quote from Flansburg in the ICE newsletter, 1996. I found a tape of John and I performing a Yoko Ono song when we were 17 years old. It's pretty amazing in a weird way, but I don't think we're ready to go public with that. <laughs> and then in one other uh, interview with Pitchfork, he was talking about, um, let's see, doing it at his at his parents' house when they were teenagers. They weren't even called They Might Be Giants yet. Uh, he said there was a Farfisa organ and a piano and all these overdubs. We bounced the tracks back and forth, experimenting with sounds. That was the first thing we did. So I'm not sure if he's saying that that's potentially the very first pre-They Might Be Giants thing that John's ever did, but that's kind of, that's big. Yeah, and it's wild. If you've not heard Don't Worry Kyoko... It is yes, a wild. I will, I will drop it in right here. <laughs> no! 
Yeah, what do you what do you think about those vocals? Uh, yeah, um, unique. Unique <laughs> is a word I would use. So, <laughs> so, I it's it's fascinating because like at first you know, Yoko Ono as a person has become a cultural punchline for a lot of people, and it's hard to get past that first. Like you have to get over that first thing knowing a little bit more of the context of the song, just like I like to do with tech. I like to learn about context of music, uh, that this was essentially about her custody battle or her daughter with her previous husband. Um, and so when you think about that and you think it's a frantic mother who is essentially in anguish and still attempting to also comfort her child, Mm-hmm. It takes on a different meaning, right? Suddenly you're like, right. oh, but when you first hear it without that context, you're just like, what is this <laughs> mess? Um, also, I think Eric Clapton played guitar on that track, which is Ooh. incredible. Uh, <laughs> huh. uh, he, I think it was Clapton and Lennon who, who played together on that that particular track. And uh, yeah. But yeah, you, you when you st- sit there and think about the context, it starts to take on a different meaning and then you start to feel like you, you you're not thinking about the actual quality of the music so much as what emotions do they evoke in you as a listener. Right. Um, and I, I think that is something that I apply while listening to they might be giants all the time, because on your first listen to a typical, they might be giant song. You're like, this is a fun poppy number like this. The, the music's really catchy and I, I really love how this sounds. And then you listen to it a second time and you're like, yeah, this is really great. And you listen to it a third time and you're paying attention to the lyrics and you're like, whoa, this is dark as hell. <laughs> right? Like you start listening to some of their songs and you're like, this is a song about someone dying. This is a I, song. Linnell is obsessed with death. Yeah, this is, this is, <laughs> this is, this is a song about someone who's, who's undergoing severe mental torture. I mean, there's, there's some amazing pieces in They Might Be Giants where it's this juxtaposition of fun music with at least somewhat dark lyrics. And when you realize that it evokes a totally different emotion in you, not a, not a bad emotion, but a different Mm -hmm. one. And that's the thing I really love about music in general is the fact that it has this power to get emotion from the listener. And the more you listen and the more you understand, the more that emotion will evolve over time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why they're they're the perfect band to do a podcast about because it's not just surface stuff. I mean, there's so much to dig into with with nearly all of these songs. I yeah, mean, even ones where even ones where the lyrics are a little more straightforward, like something like you know James K. Polk giving you yeah. you know historical uh, facts. I had one of my friends on who was like a history major and all this, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who went into all the ways that Linnell kind of twisted some of the things and used uh, certain verbiage and stuff like that to, uh, you know, make Polk seem even more, uh, kind of sinister. Right. Yeah. Though, though he was a plenty sinister guy, but right. for, for the most part, yeah, the, the lyrics are plenty open to interpretation and, uh, the Johns like to not explain what any of their lyrics mean, uh, which means me and my guests can just go off and, and, and bullshit about the songs endlessly. Yes, absolutely. And I love that. Like, you know, obviously there's a limit because it gets to a point where 
you you're either talking in circles or you you come to the conclusion that if no one ever confirms or denies your theory, does it ultimately matter? And then you get into this existential dread spiral. I don't mm-hmm. recommend going that far. Back off <laughs> if you feel like you're doing that. But uh, I, I, the thing that makes me like connect to they might be giants. There's there are certain subjects about which I can see myself as like a college student standing mm-hmm. in a parking lot outside of like a waffle house where it's three in the morning. We have just come out of the waffle house. We we're not ready to go back to our, our homes yet. And it's just us talking about a topic and they might be giants is one of those bands where we would do that, where it just became mm-hmm. a conversation that morphs and evolves. And it clearly starts to bring in other bands and other, other types of pop culture, even where we're trying to kind of get our minds wrapped around this. And ultimately, whether that was the intent of the band or not, doesn't matter. They have released that art into the world and we have taken it and made it into an experience that is meaningful to Mm -hmm. us. And to me, that's, that's like the pinnacle of good art. Right. Yeah. And they've achieved this, this, a level of depth while also just being really fun and eclectic kind of band that they've, I mean, they're into their 40th year now, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like they're the kind of act where they disappear for seven, eight years without uh, output. You, you, if you don't pay attention to, they might be giants and you turn around and take a look, you're like, Holy crap. They have seven more albums. I haven't even listened to yet <laughs> since the last one just cause I took my eye off the ball for a little bit. Um, right. and, and yeah, they're so prolific. Uh, I, I also have love heard, how uh, they're, did you get, did you get book? I, I do have book. I do have it. All right. Yes. I, what do you uh, think about book? I, I love it. Um, yeah, I have that. It's actually, uh, I have a tiny little getaway house that I usually go to on weekends. It's just this tiny little thing. It's, nothing fancy. There's no internet there. There's no phone service there. So I have, Mm. I have a turntable and a stereo system. And I have, uh, my albums mostly on vinyl at this point. And I have my copy of book there. And yeah, it's, it's the perfect place to just let that kind of art wash over you because there are no other distractions. You're not going to get a notification that pulls you out of the experience. You're not going to, you can't hear traffic in this house. Like if it's nighttime, you'll hear frogs, but that's it. (laughs) Nice. That sounds great. It's great. It's the perfect place to sit and just listen to music, which I had not done since I was in my twenties. And I forgot how, uh, healing, that can be, you know, to mm-hmm. just sit and just to experience music and to have all those distractions taken away. And I mean, I, I, I do that with all this, all the music I have, like they might be giants is a big part of my music tastes, but even like super poppy gumball, goofy stuff, like mm-hmm. <laughs> Mika's early albums are on there. I I'll uh-huh. do that with that too. And I'm like, I just love it. You know? Nice. As a tech guy, what do you think about them releasing book on eight track? <laughs> uh, I think it's hilarious. I think if you can, you know, hunting down a working eight track player is, uh, 
is a is a tough thing already. So, okay, I'll say that to me, I think it's great. I think it has a level of <laughs> of of wink and nod that is uh, commendable. Uh, you're talking to a guy who right now I can't pick it up because it's under too much stuff. But to my left, I have an old capacitance electronic disc player. Do you know what that is? No, <laughs> it's a CED player. So it's more like a turntable than a laser disc player was in that it was a it's a video disc, but okay. it has it has a needle that picks up capacitance on the disc. So it's picking up the difference in mm. capacitance on this electronic disc. So it's not actually making contact, but it's not an optical drive like a CD or DVD or Blu-ray. Huh. So it's just picking up changes in capacitance. And this was a technology that lasted for just a couple of years. And the format were these, they look like almost vinyl record covers. They're these big plastic envelopes inside the envelope is the disc. You actually mm -hmm. put the whole envelope into the player it extrudes the disc from the envelope and plays it. Uh, wow. You can hold about an hour's worth of video on each side. So any feature length film means you have to flip the disc over halfway through. Convenient. A and I have <laughs> singing in the rain and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, <laughs> so I am exactly exact. Like if you're wondering who the hell is the market or an eight track version of book, it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's amazing that they were able to find a place that could manufacture a track tapes for them yeah that could not <laughs> i think a lot of people thought they were joking and that they were just like you know in a uh, a shell with you know nothing in it, it but it, no people yep yeah, fans have gone out and bought a track players just to just to try it out and you, you gotta sit there and you gotta think like that had to be expensive to do that because yeah, you're talking yeah. about a format that no one is supporting now. So finding like that, that requires paying manufacturing costs that are going to be well above what you would do for vinyl. Like that's dedication <laughs> toward yeah. a questionable joke. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I don't even like buying cassettes, but a track, man, it's uh, it, it, it's cool, but uh, yeah, it'd be more something just to like sit on a shelf more than anything yeah really. uh, yeah that would be like display art and you yeah. wouldn't ever really well especially because anything along those lines i mean <clears throat> i don't know how old your average listener is uh i'm sure many of them remember the days of cassette tapes but some of them might not and yeah got any, quite a few it, younger listeners honestly yeah awesome well anything that was on magnetic storage is going to degrade over time i mean all formats ultimately right. will degrade over time but particularly eight tracks because of the endless loop design of the eight track, they would wear down. You get uh, wear and tear on the physical uh, tape that everything is stored on, but you also can uh, run into trouble just with like, don't, don't bring your eight track close to any powerful magnets. Right. Um, <laughs> because you don't want to accidentally erase the, the tape. So, yeah, it's just it's a format that like it has its own charm, especially for people of a certain age who can remember the, the no, even eight tracks for me are a little old. Uh, like yeah. I was for me, it was really vinyl records and cassette tapes. That was what I grew up with. I didn't have a CD player until we got into like my late teenage years, maybe 17 or 18. And even then it was like a little portable CD player that I could have headphones plugged into. Um, right. 
A little boombox? So, yeah, it was like yeah. a little Sony Discman or something like oh, that. Oh, Discman, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I, I, even as a tech guy, like I'm often a late adopter to technology for two reasons. One, I'm not made of money and new tech is expensive, yo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and two, uh, I have also been around the block long enough to know that you want to wait a bit for them to work all the bugs out before you adopt a technology. So true. True. Yeah, I was, I was a little <laughs> slow to get the CDs and, and slow to get an MP3 player and which wasn't an iPod. My first MP3 player was a creative Zen. <laughs> oh man. I remember it's one of the schools I worked at. had one of those sitting around. I could never, uh, I think it was broken though. I tried to boot it up once and it did yeah. not work. It was mine. Mine was uh, a probably beast. Been dropped. Mine was yeah. a beast. Like it, yeah, cause the old creative Zen had a spinning hard drive on it. It was not flash drive. Uh, which meant that if you did drop it, you ran the risk of warping the hard drive, which means you just broke your, your MP3 player. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I went with that is because I was not, I was not a Mac user and the iPod when it first came out was not compatible with windows machines. And then when iTunes for windows came out, it was such a, I will say challenging program uh-huh. on the windows platform. I'll be kind <laughs> that uh, that I decided I didn't want to deal with that, and so Creative Zen let me use whatever you know organizing software I wanted to load music onto the device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this song. Yeah. I guess the one thing. Oh, the one other thing I forgot to ask you about is the Variety Playhouse like a hospital. I love that that <laughs> line is in there because it could not be further from the truth. Um. <laughs> No, the thing about this song that's so funny to me is that the Variety Playhouse is not a hospital. It was never a hospital. In its former life, it was a movie theater uh, called the Euclid Theater. It has always been a place for people to go and watch entertainment. It's just that in the 90s, it changed over to live performance as opposed to movies. Uh, It's not even close to a hospital. The closest hospital is Grady, which, by the way, you do not want to have to go to if you can avoid it. (laughs) That's the downtown Atlanta (laughs) hospital. It is a... It can be a grim place, uh, but the the Variety Playhouse could not be further from a hospital. It feels like a theater. The floor is sloped down because it used to be a movie theater, so it's not like a flat mm-hmm. floor in front of the stage. Um, so all of that is poetic license, and uh, the only thing I could say that potentially could tie into thinking about the Variety Playhouse like a hospital is the fact that on more than one occasion I have seen the band play there where at least one of the members was clearly not feeling well. Hadn't <laughs> <laughs> had enough coffee, probably. Uh, I think in one case, at least it was the flu. But oh, uh, no. but yeah, I mean, like, here's the other thing is that you could see, like, someone's not feeling great. And the crazy thing is they would still put on an incredible show. To this day... There are like a handful of artists, I think, who have perfected the live performance experience. Mm -hmm. They might be giants as one of them. They have perfected it. They have created an amazing experience for for fans. They have fun banter. They it's never the same thing twice. You never see like it doesn't feel like it's a rehearsed show in that respect. It feels like people are are messing around with their friends they have a set list, but between each song, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And then they'll invite locals like the brothers chaps up to be part of the show. And it's just, 
it feels like experimental theater in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. the only other other artists I can think of who put on shows that made me feel like this was an experience worth going to and I will do it again would be Weird Al Yankovic, oddly enough, because his live shows are legit, yeah. crazy awesome, and The Struts, which is a weird band to bring up in this yeah. context. But they yeah. they feel like an arena rock band, but they're playing in middle-sized venues. Yeah, so it's, okay. it feels them. like it feels like you're watching Queen before Queen started playing arenas. That's what it feels like to see a strut show. Hmm. Well, maybe I will have to catch them next time they come around Indiana. <laughs> I've never seen them before. They're great. Yeah. So this song usually our uh, usually episodes will have a covers section. Now I went <laughs> scouring YouTube, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, nothing. It's again. It's also kind of a hard song to search for. Yes, because you're going to get the variety Atlanta playhouse venue and variety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was tricky. Um, and yeah, the one. I think the only time, the only venue song uh, episode I've done that had a cover was when I did a cover. It was the First Avenue stage in Minneapolis, and I made it about. Uh, my band. So it was more of a parody instead yeah. of a uh, cover. But that was, yeah, I couldn't find any about it. I did uh, Stubbs. Um, Stubbs oh, is great. Stubbs is a great venue song. Yeah. Yeah. So no covers. Went looking uh, all my usual places. Turned up nothing. So uh, the, o- the only thing left to do here is to score this song. And th- th- this is tough with these... Uh, venue songs because they're so uh specific and often seem kind of tossed off i don't know what do you think does this seem like a tossed off song well you know the rumor is the way they presented it on the dvd with the john hodgman bit is that uh john hodgman challenges them to write a song in a day each day of the tour and it has to be of the venue right Right. And this song does kind of feel like it was something that might have been thrown together in a day and it was people noodling around and coming up with a cool sound and 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 a build that crescendos into this almost mm-hmm. wall of noise situation before it calms back down again. And you know, I feel like I have to give it two different scores. And the reason why I say that is because I give it one score in the context of how do I judge this in the whole milieu of they might be giants. How do I, how do I judge this across all the different songs of they might be giants? Like if I hold it up to some of my favorite songs and it's hard to talk about favorites because there's so many, but I think of songs like she's an angel, which to this day is one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh yeah. That's a 10. ten. Yeah. It's a 10. It's an easy 10. Like when I hear them play that live, I, I flip my lid. I lose my shit when they play, (laughs) She's an angel live. It, I've heard it, I think twice, maybe in their nice. shows because mm-hmm. it doesn't come up in rotation very frequently. Um, Sadly. Or, or like I think of spiraling shape because I associate that with kids in the hall because I remember seeing that in brain candy and that song uh, rocks so hard mm-hmm. <laughs> and, or, or man, it's so loud in here because it sounds so different oh. from everything else they had ever done. Yep. And it's so good. And that that last line, 
when they start the love machine. I'm like, oh my God, this so breaks my heart and it rocks so hard. Um, like those are, those are standouts. And if I compare this song to those, it would be hard for me to say it cracks beyond five because right. uh, out of 10, because the, the superlatives are just so great. However, when I take it into the context of a venue, I love that venue, mm-hmm. by the way, I can walk there in 20 minutes from my house where I am right now. That is a 20 mm-hmm. minute walk away from where I am. Sweet. I love that venue. I love the experiences I've had. I've loved the shows that I've gotten to see at the variety playhouse. I love that. I was there for the first performance of that song that knocks it up to like an 8.75 for me because, <laughs> yeah, okay. because of the personal uh, attachment. So I guess we could average 8.75 and five to get my score. I don't have my calculator ready and I can't do math in my head. So I don't know what that is. <laughs> 13.75 divided by two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I like the risks that this song takes and, in in two minutes, I like the you know the journey that it goes on mm-hmm. in two minutes. It does a lot yeah. in two minutes. It's it's almost like two songs, basically. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the way I have been scoring things is you know against each other. I mean, I can't just can't have everything be above an eight. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. No, or I don't think that would be anything. fair. Right. And I think yeah, I think you're right about the. Uh, about a crack in a, a five. I think I am going to go 4.9 okay. on this thing. I think that's um, fair. Yeah. And the venue songs, I, I love them. They've, they all, they, it, they've got their own, uh, you know, special flavor for each of them. I like the customization. I like, I think the whole idea was a super fun idea, which is crazy that they did that in 2004 on top of, uh, the spine and, you know, here come the ABCs coming up. Like they just had so much going on. It's, it's insane. The workhorses that these guys are. Well, yeah. Um, To go to the show meant that you were going to hear brand new songs you had never heard before because the albums were, you know, either hadn't come out or had to only just come out. mm -hmm. And, Again, this is like this is pre YouTube 2004. So like this yeah. is bef- this is before you would start encountering music on Moss online. Like you might be going like, and this is post Kazaa LimeWire days. So you're not downloading them <laughs> like like a pirate. So um, yeah, it was it was a special time. I think like when I think of the venue songs, I think of those as almost being a gift to the people who are going to that venue and that yeah. other people can enjoy that gift. But the gift was specifically for the folks who are who have that attachment of that that performance at that venue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it, in a way, I think of it as an extension of the same philosophy that created that eight track version of book. Right. Like right. this is this is an effort that's meant for this special group of people. Other people can enjoy it, too. But this is our present to you. And to mm-hmm. me, for a band to do that to give a present to one group of people on one night, essentially. That's amazing. I mean, they've done that for me a couple of times. I was also at the last, they might be giants show to ever perform Marty Beller mask. I was at that last, the the final time that they performed it live because Whitney Houston passed away like the next day. 
actually, they what? brought it back. Did they? they? they yeah, they played it last week. Oh they my brought gosh. It back. Last week they did it. It's insane. Well, for the longest time, <laughs> they retired that song. <laughs> and I was there at the show where they did it. <laughs> They, they essentially said that they were, out of respect, going to retire the song, um, which, Guess you know, <laughs> well, it was the it was the case for several years, like many years. Yeah. But, yeah, that was one of those things where I again, like we were like, I can't believe we were at, like not that anyone knew it was only after the fact it was in retrospect that we found out. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the time, yeah. like you're just like, I can't believe I was actually at a show where we heard it turns out it's not the case, but. We heard Marty Beller mask played live for the last time. And you know, we were at a show where variety playhouse was played for the first time. Um, yeah, it's great. Like I could go on and on about my love for the band. I also love their selection for opening bands because it's been a collection of artists that I already knew like common mm-hmm. rotation. I had seen them play in Los Angeles because there mm. is a, there is a crossover between common rotation and the television series, Buffy, the vampire slayer. I and did I would, not know that. Oh yeah. The, the, one of the vocalists was one of the actors in Buffy, the vampire oh. slayer. Wow. Um, Adam Bush. He played one of the nerds of doom, uh, Warren <laughs> and, and my wife and I were big fans of the show and we went to a big party in La, in Los Angeles and we saw them play live and became big fans. And then, were thrilled when they opened for they might be giants. We saw them open for them a couple of times and it was mm-hmm. just great to see people. You like most of the crowd probably weren't familiar with them, but we had known them for a couple of years and seeing them get that kind of boost or Jonathan Colton. Like we were Jonathan Colton fans when he sure. opened, sure. Uh, but, but we discovered, okay, go through. They might be giants. We discovered Oppenheimer. We discovered Cornmo through. They might be giants. We never would have oh, heard of these Cornmo. people. He's been on the show. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Corn Cornmo mm-hmm. Cornmo played at the show where Variety Playoffs was first debuted, I think. I think he was the opening act for that show. 2004, and, um, I believe he was touring with them then. Yeah. And and yeah, I remember the crowd like when he first came out and he first started playing, the crowd was was supportive but like not entirely sure and then by the end of that set we were like dude play like eight more songs come on (laughs) (laughs) he won you over oh yeah Ah. yeah atlanta's a pretty generous city for musical acts unless they're complete jerks up on stage if they're playful jerks we love them if they're real jerks we hate them (laughs) boo (laughs) all right so uh plug section of the show is there anything else you want to tell the people about tech stuff sure yeah tech stuff is a tech podcast that publishes five days a week uh, fridays are classic episodes so if you want to listen to tech that's out of date because the episode originally aired in 2015 <laughs> go ahead uh the show's been on since 2008 so i've been doing this a long time yeah uh, that's crazy yeah i've got more than 1800 episodes at this point uh so Whew. cover pretty much everything in tech I often will go back over stuff because I don't know if you notice this, but tech sometimes evolves and it requires me to readdress <laughs> things. But yeah, that's yeah. a great show. I really enjoy doing it. It's a solo host show. Occasionally I have guests on, I interview them, but mostly it's, it's me talking about technology and giving that context. Uh, the only other plug I would ever give for the, for myself here is for a tiny little show. I do 
called Large Nerdron Collider. It's a <laughs> it's a pop culture podcast I do with my friend Ariel Caston, and in almost every episode, we end it by doing a mashup of two different pop culture things that don't go together and say what would happen if you mashed them together and made something new. So like recently I did a wizard of Oz, Winnie the Pooh mashup, um, (laughs) which, which I wanted to call you got whiz on my poo, but I was told that was too disgusting. (laughs) Oh, come on. Oh, too immature, please. It it writes itself. (laughs) Large nerdron collider. Yes. And I assume you can find that everywhere. Yes. Yes. You can find that everywhere. Like, if all else fails, you can go to the iHeartRadio uh, app, which, you know, is is one of many different apps you can use to catch pods. And uh, it's the that's the home for all of our stuff. But you should be able to find it on any podcatching service. Just search for that. Search for tech stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I I love hearing back from listeners, too, who who have like suggestions for things I should talk about. Uh Sometimes I get reminded of stuff that I haven't thought about in years. Uh, and I, I love those. Like if someone says, Hey, can you do another episode on the max headroom incident? I'm like, I am there. We're going to talk about <laughs> digital piracy. We're going to talk about taking over the airwaves. Let's do it. So hell join yeah. The fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show and sharing all of your They Might Be Giants stories. Man, oh, it was a blast. I, I loved it. Um, I'm a chatterbox. I'm a chatty Kathy. I know this about myself and uh, hope I didn't upset any of your listeners with all of my gabbling goo. But listen, I... Oh, nonsense. I could go on about They Might Be Giants for ages. Like I said, I, I really... I think the thing I admire most about them out of everything else, like is the fact that they redefine themselves and their sound with every album. Mm -hmm. And, and when you consider how many albums that encompasses, that is an achievement that I don't think anyone else has ever come close to matching. Yeah. They're, uh, they're in a league of their own for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you are welcome to come on again sometime if you would like. So just let me know. Oh, I'll be happy to. Uh, maybe I'll find a song that won't be covered, which will be a challenge. Man, yeah. when I was going through the list, I was like, oh, man, all the ones that I would gush over. I, they, of course they were taken because they're amazing songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it goes. I know at this point I'm only I'm only four years into this thing. But uh, yeah, the, the the classics have been picked over for sure. Well, the nice but, thing uh, is they're making yeah. new classics all the time. New classics, of course. All right. Thanks again, Jonathan. That was awesome. 